All right. Just as a, a brief recap from last week, there's a few things that we talked about. Um, we basically are going for the next uh, three months or so, maybe a little longer, um, going through the doctrine of the church, what the church really is. And, and I know that it's sometimes difficult to think about, you know, topics like this that kind of fall into maybe something of like, a, I'm going to say, say the word here, systematic theology, dun, dun, dun. you know, I know those can be kind of uh, arduous tasks sometimes as we try to unravel what the Bible's saying about those and, and the direction the Bible's pointing. Um, but I think as we do come to understand those and grow in them a little bit more, it helps us to understand what part we play as members of the body of Christ and what this thing is that we're doing. And it helps iron out some difficulties that perhaps modern-day church presents. You have a, a, you know, groups of people who don't believe in local church formal membership and go, well, you know, does the Bible say that we have to formally have membership like this and that kind of thing? And, and then you have uh, people that out there that, that think they're following Christ and don't go to church at all and say, well, if I am the church, if we are the church, then can't I be the church on a boat somewhere on Sunday morning instead of, you know, gathered together in a, in a building with other people? And, but so the point is, is, the study of God's Word that way, where we can see kind of broad swaths of His Word instead of just like we normally do on both Wednesday night and Sunday morning of going through verse by verse, when you see a catalog of what's being put together in the Scriptures, it can sometimes help to answer some of those more complicated questions. But then it also helps us as individuals know where we fit in that place. You know, am I, am I going to church and am I just waiting on somebody to just say, hey, go do this? Or am I waiting for somebody to recruit me to do something? Or what, what role do I actually serve here other than just attendee? And I, I think it can help iron out some of those more complicated uh, pictures. And so when we looked last week, we were talking about what the church actually is as the body of Christ. And, and we said there's a couple of things that present some significant issues for us. One, the local church is the way that God has chosen to display His glory to the nations. And the complicating factor in that is that we sin. And so, and, and, and we, we do that on a daily basis, and we have struggles, we have gripes and complaints, and the, the Bible says don't do nothing without grumbling or complaining, and, well, we're all out, uh, you know? So, I mean, we, we, all, we all sin, and so we're the displayers of God's glory here on earth, and yet I've got sin all around me, and so how do I... How do I actually display the glory of God? And, and what we said was that, um, that God actually chose to not only redeem us, to save us, but then put His Spirit within us. And that makes us a member of the global body of Christ. The fact that God has placed His Spirit within His people makes them a member of the global body of Christ. And so what that actually does, having the Spirit inside us, is the Holy Spirit grows us in holiness. And so as we come to be convicted of our own sin, the way the church then displays the glory of God to the world is that they see 
a sinner like them, but one that is convicted of sin and repentant and turning toward Christ for forgiveness and worship. So therein lies the displaying of God's glory. And so in that, what he has done is he has taken men and women that are dead in their trespasses and sins. I jumped to a review, what I thought was going to be a review slide, but it's not a review slide because I didn't put the review slides in there this time. So forgive me on that. I was going to the, it was habit is what that was. Um, the first goal of God is to, you know, not only demonstrate his divine mercy, but to save men and women who are dead in their trespasses and sins and bring them together into a body from diverse backgrounds and have them proclaim his name even while they're still sinners, right? Um, And so then the second goal, obviously, for his church is not only to save us and unite us to him, but also unite us to one another. So... We see that all through Ephesians 2. You just read Ephesians 2, and you see we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made us alive, redeemed us, and then in the second half of that, so He united us to Himself, but then in the second part of that, He united us to each other. He tore down the wall of hostility. There's no more Jew or Gentile. They're all one in Christ now, and so basically His way of demonstrating His glory is that He's saved these people and reconciled them to Himself and reconcile them to each other. Think about the first century. How do you stumble into a first century church and see a group of Jews and a group of Gentiles coming together and worshiping? One grew up not going anywhere near a strip of bacon, and the other one has realized the truth, that the bacon is delicious and and eats it. And yet, realizing at the same time that this Jew who is saved may still have some hang-ups and some trepidations about eating bacon, and, and you know what? May just not have a taste for it, an appetite for it at all, and kind of struggles with it a little bit, you know? And then there's the Gentile who grew up eating it and loves it and wishes this person could know how good it really is, but doesn't bring it to the potluck because realizing that his brothers and sisters may not all love bacon just decides to leave it out for now, and enjoy that at home in his own time. How do you explain that other than Christ has saved these two, and now each one is living for the other instead of living with his own self-interest in mind? Um, And so that is a display of God's glory. That is how God's glory is displayed even through sinners, is that they overcome sin through the blood of Christ and repentance. And so Uh, that's basically what last week was about. And now we come to this week where we're going to talk about membership in this body of of Christ, what that actually looks like. And really, I want to start with just, I think it's pretty simple tonight, I hope it is anyway, uh, is laying out the two real different kinds of membership that you're going to see in churches. And in, I've no doubt that probably every person in this room has seen two different ways churches present membership to you. And maybe even you've sat in the pew as I've talked about membership, and maybe you've thought to yourself, that's different than what I think membership should be, or maybe that's different in how I grew up thinking about church membership. And so I want to, hopefully, maybe this will iron some of those things out as to why there are differences like that. Some understand membership in the local church 
similar to a secular club or organization. You're, you've, you've probably all got memberships maybe to a gym. Maybe it's January, so your membership is still valid, right? Uh, you won't cancel that until February 1st, I think. Um, but uh, we've probably got, you've probably had a membership to a gym. Maybe you've had a membership to a grocery store. Um, you've probably had memberships to a number of different things, different secular clubs or organizations. And the, the, the idea of those is that the commitment on the front end is low. Does a gym require you come a number of times? Absolutely not. It's, it's just dollars. Is there, is there really many hurdles to becoming a member of, of the gym? Not really. I mean, you come there with, a, with you and a checkbook, and they're happy to take you, right? Same with a grocery store. You don't have to go through this extensive background check and FBI interview in order to join Sam's, do you? No, they just want your money. That's pretty much it. The, the buy-in is low, and there's assimilation into the organization. And so you'll see churches adopt the same way of thinking about membership, that when you come in, the buy-in is really low, and what we're wanting is for you to grow in responsibility in this organization, this, this church body. And so we don't really require much up front. We just want you to come, just attend, and things like that. And so there's an emphasis at the very beginning that there's little to no expectations for newcomers. And don't worry about filling in all the blanks all at once. Just, just fill them out one at a time as we get there if you can. But there's the emphasis that there's really no expectations for newcomers, and the church is presented to these people as, listen, this is a, a great way to grow, to understand the Bible, um, to train your kids, to find a, a community of believers to be around, to fellowship with. And you see this in the, even in the perspective of people as they join churches. Often what we'll find is youth will leave church when they graduate high school. They'll go to college, they'll get married, still not attending church after, after high school, not attending church, they get married, they eventually work their way back into church sometimes, and when does that happen? After that baby is born, right? They start thinking, I don't want this kid to grow up a heathen, so... I don't know what I'm supposed to do now. And like, what's the natural solution? I grew up in church, and look how I turned out. You know, I turned out great. And so the, the thought then is, well, let's, let's go get in into the church. And the church caters to this and says, look, membership in the body of Christ is, it's, there's a lot of practicality to it. You have a, a network of people that are like, what would happen if you died? And, and who would put flowers on your casket, you know, if you, if you died? Well, you know, that's what, you, that's what a church is for. You, know, you come in, who's going to teach your kid the Bible? Are they just going to grow up not knowing the Bible? Well, why don't you just bring them to us? And so we, we've created programs and all kinds of different things where the parent can just sort of drop off their kid. It's sort of turnkey. You know, you drop off your kid, and then you go to church or whatever, and then you pick up the kid, and they're supposed to be all justified or whatever, sanctified, you know, and you... you you take them away, and you're like, all right, they're taught up, and the work here is done. I'll see you next week. 
as if, you know, the one little hour is, is enough Bible teaching. But the point is, there's low expectations coming in. Look, just come in. You can, anybody can be a member of this church um, and, and really just, you know, drop your kids off. And the more extravagant things, the more nice things, the more appealing things that there are for the people that come in, the more it encourages them to grow uh, closer. Look, you know, I wasn't thinking about being a member of that church, but well, they such a nice youth program. Fantastic. Their kids program is unparalleled. Look at this size of this building. It's, it's amazing. I've seen churches encourage membership uh, and, and, and in the children's building, build it up as nice and fancy as they could to the point where they're baptizing children by sending them down a water slide into the baptistry. And the water slide, shaped like a fire truck. I'm being dead serious right now. Church is in Arkansas, actually. It's a Southern Baptist church. What do you think about that? I won't tell you who the pastor of that church used to be, but if you Google it, you'll figure it out. Um, <clears throat> but it's Southern Baptist Church. And, and pastor, the former pastor of that church, is prominent in the SBC. It's discouraging, right? You're immediately kind of going, okay, that's a bridge too far. Wait a second, though. Don't we put a lot of stake in buildings? We want them to look nice, don't we? Why do we want them to look nice? We want to show them off to the community, don't we? Hey, we got a children's building here. It's in all of us. That feeling is in all of us. But you take it to an extreme conclusion, you go, wait a minute! I wouldn't go that far. So, the point is, we kind of put out these things here, and, and people take a step closer, and they go, you know, I, I think I do want to get more involved in this church because look at all the nice things that they have. My kid really likes it. And when we walk away from the church, boy, he or she is, is singing the praises of whatever is over there. So then what happens? Well, how do we get people from just passive observers and kind of people that like the children's ministry or the youth ministry, maybe some bells and whistles that we got going. How do we take them to the next step where they're like, where they're, where they're really committed? I know. We get them to serve. Well, let me go back. I, I forget here. Hold on. There we go. You know what? I'm just going to put that down. Just don't click it. Uh, I didn't build this the way I normally do, so I'm, I'm out of practice here. So, service. So what, what is then service in the body? Service in the body is used as a way of keeping people here. Well, you can't go anywhere because you serve on the praise team. And there's, as the member, you feel this sort of sense of obligation and duty. You don't, I, I'm serving for the next 13 weeks. We certainly can't leave the church for the next 13 weeks because I've made a commitment already, Right? And this is what membership really looks like, is slow buy-in. You're hooked. In a grocery store or gym, they do the same thing. 
They have some manner of giving you some deals, and eventually after you shop at this grocery store for a year, you go to Costco all the time, and you start buying things. You got your meats that you like. You got your cheeses that you like. You got all these different things that you like. Well, how can you now cancel your membership and just, what, am I supposed to shop at Publix? I have to find new cheeses and meats and all kinds of different things. My entire list is going to change. I'm not going to know what my shopping list will really look like. It's a way of growing you more and more attached to the church. Present these forms of membership. See, I reached for my clicker and I, I didn't touch it. So then, then what happens then is we start to encourage small groups. Small groups function in this capacity not merely as ways of building one another up, but they're a gateway to the church. In some cases, you may even say, look, if, if, you, if you don't want to come here, I, I get it. Why don't you start small? Why don't you start with a, a, a small group? You know, small groups, look, don't, don't do much to pressure them. Just, you know, give them a little, give them some food, have fun. At least talk about the Bible as little as you possibly can because we want them to feel as comfortable as possible in these places. And so, then there's other services that we actually offer as a church, Right? Pastoral counseling. What is pastoral counseling in this kind of way of understanding membership? You can't go somewhere else and get the kind of counseling you can get here. Look at what we've got. We've got counselors on staff, or we've got the pastor who's available to you. And, and you know what? You come in and he makes you feel good, and, and maybe he even solves a lot of problems, and maybe he's even doing good biblical counseling. And when you go there, you're getting a, a, you know, a lot of really good information and, and a lot of really good help with your marriage or whatever. But it's another way of saying, look at all of the various services that we provide. Now, I want you to just stop at this point and just think about what that does to a church who doesn't have any of those things. They don't have a slide going into the baptistry. They don't have the big fancy children's building. They don't have, maybe the pastor is not a great counselor. Maybe he's just pretty okay. Maybe he'll read some verses with the people and he's decent at it. They don't have the kinds of tools and things that are, are available maybe to some of these churches that present this model. What, what do they do? What happens? What happens to you, the person who's a part of that Big church, you, you're like, hey, well, maybe we want to change. And you go to one of these smaller churches, they don't have any of that stuff. What do you do? Well, the deals are just not as good here as they were down the road. So what have you started to look at church as when you go shopping for a new one? Which one has the best deals? You're the consumer. They're the business. And they're pitching to you their business proposal. Here's what we have to offer you. So over time, people start to see the church community really as a tool to meet their needs. It's about really making me as comfortable as you possibly can. That's what you're trying to do, right? In that scenario, what place would a pastor ever have to make anyone mad in the congregation. Well, well, you get the right combination of people in there, 
And you get the wrong understanding of membership as I've laid it out, as we're pitching to you our services and trying to get you to take them. You get that going on, and you get a pastor who, well, I can't make the members mad. I don't want them to leave. What happens when you get to one of those texts? You know that kind of text I'm talking about? That every pastor's preached the sermon. They know on Saturday night. They tell their wife, baby. You might, yeah, you might want to just, look, just get, just get a cancelable hotel, all right? That's all I'm saying. You know, <laughs> might want to at least know what realtor we'd go with, you know, if we were to have to pack our bags and sell. So the problem, obviously, with this view of membership is it begins to treat you like a consumer. And what's happened, the reason that you know, even if you've never been to one of these churches, even if you've never walked into that church, maybe you've seen some of it in us. I I hope not, but maybe you have. The reason we know this is true is because the people have been turned into consumers. So you, you find the disagreements, the, the disgruntled portions and things like that. If members inside churches, the reason why they come to loggerheads with the pastor a lot of times is, is precisely because you're not giving me what I want, what I think I need. And because you're not, I'm going to go somewhere else. And, and then what do we do? You know, it's one thing we're going to change churches, but then we start looking around, and what is it we do when we do that? Well, I, I like the things that this church has, and I like th- this about this church. And I, we start comparing it just like we would be switching gyms. It becomes an item, a list of good things that these churches do, and we've got to figure out which one means. I like the music at that place. You know, but how often do we actually think, what if? only thing that mattered was the veracity of the word that was preached, the truth of the word that was preached, and whether or not that was reflected in the music, in the prayers, scripture reading. What if we required that? Well, now all of a sudden, those small churches are back in play. I heard a pastor who is, um, let's just, how do I say, Kind of, if the deep end is over there, he's heading that direction. Um, in near back-to-back weeks, where he said, first, you kind of need to unhitch yourself from the Old Testament. Then, then said, listen, the best thing you could do for your kids is find them a big old church. Big church where they got lots of stuff. They can make lots of friends. That's not a direct quote, but it's pretty close. Where does that come from? That's the same idea. There you go. So I was being too generous. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, it, and, and, and he happens to be a pastor of a large church. And if I said his name, you would all know it. And you can easily find him on the internet again. But, but it's, it's thinking of the people in the pew like consumers. The people in the pew have bought into it and realized they are consumers. And that 
that consumers have the power, and so when they come into a place, they demand that it be this way, and if it's not, we're going to leave. So it treats you like consumers. That's one way to view membership, is a lot like that. Why aren't we doing these kinds of things? Because we really want to keep them here. We want to attract them and keep them here. Second way to view membership is that it's a family or a body. Member. Not someone who owns a card. Someone who is a finger or a fingernail, a kneecap, a shin, a toe. They're a part, member meaning part, of a body. That's another way to view membership. What changes now about association with this particular organization if you view yourself as a finger attached to it? What now changes in your way of thinking about this association when you view yourself as a toenail? It's, it's a big shift. And here's maybe a few ways it might change. First of all, it requires commitment up front. Because the reality is, in order to be a part of it, you are binding yourself to it. And honestly, when you've come to know Jesus... You bind yourself to a local body of people that you really don't know that well. But you're a part of them. And so you've committed, you've bound yourself to them, and you've, that means honestly, accepting all the warts and the stuff that you get to know, the toenail fungus. We all got toenail fungus. Maybe that was too revealing. I don't know. <laughs> was that too honest? <laughs> I don't mean we all really have toenail fungus. I mean, I certainly don't. <laughs> but, you, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> There's some sort of fungus or gangrene or something going on in all the body, all the bodies of Christ out there, various local associations. There's problems that exist in all the bodies, but whereas before you might have thought of yourself as a consumer, now you've transitioned and you're thinking of membership in a body in a different way as you're a finger, a part of this. The toenail fungus is your problem. You might be up north on the body, but it's still your problem because that toe always itches. And you're the finger. Not a glamorous job, but it is a job, right? <laughs> so, so you've got, gone off the rails here. Uh, <laughs> it's okay, we got it, right? Uh, do I, yeah. Uh, if I see any one of you scratching somebody else's toe, it's, that's the line is drawn. But you're, you, the point is, you get, you get the idea. You have a role in this body. You're bound to it. Could you leave it? You could, but you recognize at the same time that is deep surgery. That requires something quite extreme. In fact, 
in a church situation, maybe taking it just a little bit outside of the analogy here, you would sever parts of your body, parts of the body. You would leave, in other words, the body when it begins to die due to false preaching, false teaching, those kinds of things. And you would take as many members of the body with you as you could when you went, right? That's essentially what you would do. So you have this commitment to them that you've made up front, you've bound yourself to them, and what that also then means is that your membership or your commitment to them doesn't stem from these feelings that you might have about it, the feelings of euphoria about the children's building or about the slide in the baptistry or or some sort of thing like that, those feelings of attachment. Instead, your commitment to them is because of your commitment to them and your commitment to Christ. I am a member of this body. And it's going to take a lot to sever me. So instead, it's a, it's a commitment that you make because doing so is a part of following Jesus. We commit to other believers in the local church simply because it's a part of God's calling us into His family. Look at 1 John 4, uh, 19-21. We love... Because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. He does not love his brother whom he has seen. He he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from Him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Going back to what I said last week, you cannot say that you love Jesus and yet hate His body. That is fundamentally impossible. You can't have a disjointed relationship with brothers and sisters in the community and yet also claim to love God. Those are two, those are logical impossibilities, John says. And so the commitment inside the body stems from love not only for one another, but because you recognize God did something to me and He made me a part of this. And because I love Him and what He has done for me, I recognize that all the other people that He has done that for are my brothers and my sisters. And so I'm a part, in some cases, whether we like it or not. So you understand then that understanding of membership is first starting with our own salvation. What makes me a member? What makes me a member of the body of Christ? That God put His Spirit within me. Period. Okay? That alone makes me a member of the global body of Christ. But now, He's also tied me into a local group of Christians whom I am to now express that love and that undying commitment. So it starts with our, first with our salvation. He loved me. And then it continues into, now I want to love brothers and sisters. I want to serve them. I want to care for them. I, I want to scratch the toe fungus. 
<laughs> Shannon's shaking her. <laughs> Not literal toe fungus. Um, and so that means then, the next step, if that verse is true, if that passage is true, that that's what we do because of what he has done, then that means that we don't view membership at, uh, as uh, like a slow process of commitment. But we view membership in the body as something that begins with an event that took place, and that was my salvation. As soon as I became aware of my own sin, God opened my eyes to my sin, I saw it for what it was, and He brought me to repentance, and He gave me the faith to believe, and He worked in my heart and continued to sanctify me toward good works. As soon as that happened, I realized I'm a part of a body where the Word is preached to me and taught to me, and I'm edified and corrected and trained in righteousness, and then I have the opportunity to bump into these people that are next to me on a regular basis, be offended by them in some cases, be hurt by them in other cases, but be corrected by them in some cases, be built up in other cases, be encouraged in other cases. So you understand, if this is the kind of um, thing that we've been saved to, what, how does that change service in the church? Is service now a way of hooking you in and making you a part so that you feel like you can't leave? Or is service now an overflow of what God has done for you? So, so you understand that that way of understanding membership, even in a local body, is now saying, because God did these things, I serve. Because God did these things, I'm going to die to self when it comes to this person. I'm going to sit next to him. I'm going to scratch the toe fungus. Because God did this, even though that person has offended me, I'm going to build a bridge and get over it. So there's, there's all kinds of things now that you do as a, this kind of member of the body that on the other side of the coin, you would just leave. Because if I'm the consumer and the church is being pitched to me and sold to me, well, I'll just go get the t-shirt down the street because they sell the same one and it's a lot less offensive. It's made of polyester instead of cotton. Too many metaphors for one night. Now, that brings us to the actual... So that, that's membership, if we think about it. Membership, both globally, and then we've just briefly touched on locally, what that, what that looks like. But it does raise the question for some, I'm sure. Is membership, local church membership... Fine, God saved me through Christ and made me a part of the global body, right? Yes, He did that. But, but why do I have to join a local expression of that membership? Why, why do I have to join an actual local body? That doesn't seem like it's in the Bible. At the same time, though, and on first read, a lot of Christians think that church membership is an invention by Christians. It's just something we created out of whole cloth just to keep track of people and build up our books and all those kinds of things, as if that happens, I guess. But the Bible calls Christians to actually commit to one another 
in such a way as can only really be experienced in church membership. The guy who doesn't join the church, who doesn't become a part of a local body, what does he do on a Sunday morning? If he doesn't go to church and hear the word preached, who calls him? Who says something to him? Probably nobody. Because he has no real affinity or association with that church. But instead, the Bible actually calls us to love one another deeply and sacrificially. Look at Romans 12, 13 to 16. Where am I at? There we are. <clears throat> Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. The, the kind of love that it's calling you to is deep interpersonal love, such that it can only be experienced really in a local body. So that means then, as an example, if a husband and a wife are unable to get pregnant, in a local body, they're called to rejoice with the couple in their small group or whatever that finds it so easy to get pregnant. Even though every time somebody mentions a pregnancy, it hurts. But the couple that finds it so easy to get pregnant also mourns with the couple who can't get pregnant. If someone gets a new job, they're sympathetic to the person who lost his. We give money, we give time, we give our home. We open our home for other people. We assemble regularly with one another. Look at what the Bible calls us to in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He also says in the verse just before that, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. So what is he calling you to do? Well, he's commanding you to be a part of a church and gather together on Sunday. The regular expectation for the Christian is that on Sunday morning, they're together with other Christians celebrating the resurrection of Christ. Of course there are exceptions. You're sick, you stay home, right? There are obviously exceptions. You're out of town, you're just, your job is taking you somewhere, and you, you just can't be back in town. But those are the exception, not the rule. But for so many Christians, that has become the rule instead of the exception. I'll go to church if I don't have anything better to do. Well, if they're blatantly ignoring the commands of Scripture, and in spite of repeated warnings, you're not coming to church. Why aren't you coming to church? They refuse repentance. What is that person called? An unbeliever. That's hard, right? Do we think of church attendance 
or lack of church attendance as a disciplinable action? When Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 says, when you're gathered together, this son has his, has his father's wife. When you're gathered together, hand him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Surely not attending church isn't like that, right? It depends on how you view membership. If membership is first, God did something to me, He put His Spirit within me. And then I joined a church because that's what I'm doing as a result of what God has done. If you view membership that way, then what does it say about God putting His Spirit within me when I can see what is commanded in me in Scripture, ignore it completely, plug my ears and say, I don't care what you say, I'm still not coming. I'll come whenever I want to. How is that person a member of the body of Christ if they can walk in unrepentant sin continually in spite of warnings? So if you view membership that way, well then yeah. Not being here is tantamount to not being a Christian. Certainly not in vogue in our church. <laughs> our churches. So when we assemble together, we encourage one another, as Hebrews 10.24 says. We also guard one another, as Hebrews 3.12-13 says. Look at that. Take care, brothers, lest there be, any, uh, be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What is he calling people to do but gather around and, and exhort one another and challenge one another and confront one another, sometimes uncomfortably so? You're not coming to church. Why are you not coming to church? You should be. It says right here in Hebrews, you, you should be. And to not be a sin. You're guarding one another. You're protecting one another. You're protecting the gospel. But not only does the Bible call us into these deep relationships that can really only be experienced in something of a local association, the Bible also assumes that you're going to make a formalized commitment to one another. So you might say that churches, local churches, are not so much joined as they are submitted to. You're coming in, forming a localized commitment, a formalized commitment to one another as a means of submitting to the rest of the body, as a means of submitting to the word being preached. So 1 Corinthians 5, 19 to, or 9 to 13, he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of the world or the greedy or the swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go outside of the world. But I, now I'm writing you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. What would a person in Corinth have with purging the evil person from among them if that person lives in Ephesus? Nothing. 
I don't even know that guy. How can I purge him? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about those inside a local body versus those outside a local body. But notice that even those inside and outside, they're not merely Christian and non-Christian. He's not just talking about Christian and non-Christian. He assumes that there's going to be non-Christians in attendance in churches on a weekly basis. And yet, them just attending is not considered to be an insider. They are still considered to be outsiders. Get 1 Corinthians 14, 23-25. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter... Will they not say that you are out of your minds? Now, we're going to talk about gifted tongues tonight, all right? Uh, so, we're not going to do that tonight. But what I would say is, notice there are unbelievers present in those associations. They're hearing the gospel. Maybe they've been invited by a friend, who knows? But they're there observing some things inside the church. He doesn't consider those to be insiders. Insiders are the ones that need to be purged and omitted from membership as is the case there in 1 Corinthians 5, where they're about to excommunicate someone from within their membership. He's going to go from insider to outsider. Welcome inside the church. You can come, particip- you can come see the church service. You can be called to repentance. We want you to do that, but you're not going to be called a member. You're not going to be called a member of the body of Christ. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 6, the church at Corinth makes this formal process enough that they can actually determine by the majority to forgive someone and welcome them back in. Look at 2 Corinthians 2, 6. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. The church at Corinth has kicked somebody out of membership, maybe that same guy from 1 Corinthians, and now Paul says, look, if he's repented, then welcome him back in. The punishment by the majority of you is enough. Welcome him back in. Forgive him, in other words, is what he's calling them to. Um, Then Jesus in Matthew 18, 17, we read that a few weeks ago on Sunday, he assumes that there are followers who are going to be part of the church, the local church, that these disciples, the apostles are going to be pastoring, and he assumes that there is a degree of authority that the congregation bears over them, calling them back to repentance or omitting them from membership. The people of the church are called to obey the leaders of the church to which they belong. And these leaders are responsible for specific members within the body. And that's Hebrews 13, 17. Look at that. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Is that a guy in Corinth submitting to the guy in Ephesus? No. It's a guy in Corinth submitting to the leaders inside the church, the elders inside the church. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who, who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. We could go on and on. You see in Acts where the people are baptized, there are thousands added to their number that day. You, you see the responsibility that Jesus places on, on Peter and the apostles as they're the elders of the church in Jerusalem. They're the first elders. There's, there's 11, 12 of them that are elders of the church in Jerusalem as these thousands come to repentance. And what does the author of Hebrews say their responsibility is over all those people in Jerusalem? Caretaker of their souls as those who will give an account. That's a pretty big responsibility. So you understand that what's happening in church membership 
It's not some church in an ideal situation, and I hope like you would find here. It's not a church trying to pad some role and say, look at how many people we have. In fact, a church that's really keeping close watch over membership will go, who's not here? Let's talk to them. Are they members? That, are they going to some other church? Are they moved away? Then they're not on our rolls. So you'll find often churches that take church membership seriously will actually begin to shrink their roles a little bit and refine them by who is actually coming on Sunday and submitting to this local body. Why? Because the pastors are in charge of their souls as those who will give an account. So I have a vested interest in that. Questions? Come on now. So, <laughs> we're, we're certainly not getting one going into the baptistry, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> are, you the, are you volunteering for the fingernail? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Man, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, but, but that's the thing, right? Like, the, if there really are a toe, the fungus needs to be purged. The toe doesn't. Yeah, yeah. The, the things that need to be excised from the body are the cancers, right? The things that don't belong in the body at all. Yeah. We're going to continue the metaphor. Go ahead, Lynn. I am so glad you brought that up, Lynn. There's a reason why uh, I'm teaching this now. Cards completely on the table. Uh, vest opened, right? Um, keeping watch over the membership role is vitally important. And it is a process that we're going to begin shortly. And we're going to start, it, so here's the thing you got to know about that. It gets really difficult. It gets progressively more difficult. It starts relatively easy, because it starts with people that moved to Idaho that are like 10 years ago, that none of us even know, or maybe some of us know, but most of us don't know. And we call them and we go, where, where are you? And they say, I'm in Boise. Oh, you going to a church up there? Yeah, I'm, I'm a, I go to, you know, Christ Church something or another, Boise. All right, okay, good. Well, we're going to remove you from our role here so that we know who we're actually in, supposed to watch out for, right? So it starts really easy. But then slowly it starts getting a lot more personal as we get closer and closer and closer and we get all of a sudden now to kids, family members, spouses, who either have denied Christ, are not Christian, don't come to church, don't want to come to church, ignore their in attendance, those are the ones that get really personal, right? And those are the ones that get really difficult because, well, they're a part of the city and they still feel 
a connection to this church, okay, well then come. Be a part. Show fruit that you're actually in the body of Christ. Demonstrate that to the rest of us. We're missing a fingernail, and you're gone, and we got toe fungus running all over the place. Right? But if they say, no, I'm not, I'm not coming. I, I got things to do on Sunday. I'll be there whenever I want to be. Okay, what do we do? Well, Jesus says, take two or three more. Tell them, no, but really. You're in sin, and you need to repent and come back and be a part of our church. You say you're a member of the body of Christ. And they say, look, I told you once, I will go whenever I feel ready or whenever I want to. What does Jesus say you do then? Take the church to them. Tell it to the church. And if they won't listen, even to the church, everybody starts calling them and saying, listen, we're, we're, we're serious. We want you back. We want you here. And they say, I'll go whenever I want to go. Let him be to you as a Gentile or tax collector. Why would we do that? It's not Emmanuel Baptist Church whose name is at stake. It's the name of Jesus that's at stake. And you've got a person who says, I'm a member of Jesus' body at Emmanuel Baptist Church. And Emmanuel Baptist Church says, yeah, he's a member of our body. Well, he doesn't go to church. He doesn't come. He doesn't actually do what a Christian does. There's zero fruit to demonstrate that he actually, there's certainly no repentance. What does the world now think a Christian is? It's someone who doesn't go to church, who demonstrates no repentance. And you as a church, me as a pastor, have deputized that person to go forth into the world and proclaim the name of Christ and represent Christ's body out there. And yet, he demonstrates no fruit and no sign of repentance. How can we actually say of that person, yeah, I think they are a member of the body of Christ. Is that what a member of the body of Christ actually looks like in the Word when you read it? Of course not. So that's the reason you go through that. It's not because you care about your own name or it comes, you, you want to pad the roster. In fact, it shrinks the roster. It's not because you want to look good. It's because the name of Christ is at stake. And everybody around in their workplace and all those kinds of things know where that person goes to church. They know where that person is associated. They know they're claiming the name of Christ. And they need to be told clearly and plainly, you show no evidence of being a Christian. And you need to wake up. Because if you don't, you're on a quick road to hell. You need to repent. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's right. There could be a number of people who are just out there and when you tell them and you tell them, look, I want you to just read you Hebrews 10 and, and just see what you think it, it's saying here. And you see how he's saying not attending churches. Sinful. Come. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. Perhaps hurtful too. And especially when you're warning them, look, it's, it's not good. We want you to love Jesus. Yeah. Others? Other questions? Bound to be some. Uh, yeah, I mean, from just a practical standpoint, it's really good. You can be, a lot of you can begin this even now when you know that there is somebody who doesn't come. Maybe you even happen to know they're not going anywhere else either. It's, look, in a local body, we can do what's called holding our members loosely, meaning a member comes to me and says, I'm going to another church. The church I happen to know preaches the gospel, they believe in Jesus, in which case, holding your members loosely is going, we get it. You know, there's a church that you fit in better with, and, and I may disagree with all the reasons that you gave, and I may see you as, as not being very mature in Christ because of the reasons you're going, but you know what, I, I think that that church will continue to grow you and mature you, and maybe one day you won't think this way anymore. And that's fine, we can do that. And we can say, you, you don't want to come to our church, but you, you need to go to a church. Here, here's a list of churches that are good, they preach the Bible, they're, they're solid. You need to go there, at least, to one of those. Pick one and attend and, and join and commit, because you're a member of the body of Christ. You know, so it, it starts with probably people that you know. I mean, their non-attendance would be sinning against you. And so then, then it's two or three more, perhaps, people that know them also. And then it's, you know, broader. And I don't, I don't think it's strictly, you go, then two or three more, then the whole church and they're gone. I think there's, what Jesus is saying is there's patience. We can be slow about this and we can, you know, really be sure the warning is communicated, but it, it needs to be communicated. So you can begin this tonight if you want to. Other questions? All right. You've been warned. No. Let's. <laughs> Let's. <laughs> <I'm t> <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the beauty of the body of Christ. Um, yes, we can laugh together, we can rejoice together, we can, um, we can also do a lot of things that are, that are not pleasing to you as well. Um, but the beauty of what you have assembled here, particularly at EBC, but also other places as well, is a group of people who earnestly care about your word and want more than anything to represent the name of Christ well in the community around us, here as members of a body. That's what we want to do more than anything is represent your name as true to your word as we possibly can and it's your spirit within us that drives us to that. We know that without 
you, we're, we're nothing. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. You made us alive. And so because you have put your spirit within us, we earnestly desire to will and to work for your good pleasure. And so we know that's true of the members of the body of Christ here at Emmanuel. We pray that it would continue to grow in us. And that we would earnestly desire to be a church that strives towards purity of the word taught, reverence in worship, sincerity of worship, and living lives of holiness. But also being humble and poor in spirit and meek, mourning over our sin and the sin in the world around us. We would be the kind of people that exhibit spiritual fruit that you produce in and through us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.